Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Personalization Outbreak Podcast, your go-to podcast for meaningful conversations with influential leaders from different sectors every week. This week, we're going to take a slightly different approach. Instead of connecting with the corporate ranks, we're going to speak with a bright millennial who can teach us all about work-life balance, what it means to have a sense of ownership and purpose at work, and how to be efficient in the workplace. Parker Hanley is a 25-year-old graphic designer who has spent the last five years in college and professional sports creating content and managing social media accounts with various organizations, most recently with the Minnesota Timberwolves of the NBA and the Minnesota Lynx of the WNBA. See, Parker has made a career of telling stories of businesses and organizations through graphic design, photography, and social media. In fact, Parker just recently graduated from Utah Valley University with a bachelor's degree in marketing. Now, together, we'll talk about how personalization is disrupting the ways we conduct business and how balance of power is emerging amongst generations. We will also discuss how the streaming generation is changing the ground rules and how they're influencing the ways that we learn and consume education. So before we get started, Please click on the like button below, share it with your colleagues, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and social media at Glenn Yopis so that you can be in touch with our most recent content about leadership in the age of personalization. Let's get started. You are listening to Personalization Outbreak, a podcast about the collapse of traditional corporate standards in today's more personalized world. I'm Glenn Yopis. I'm a leadership strategist, author, contributor to Forbes, and founder of the Leadership in the Age of Personalization movement. On this show, I'm interviewing executives across multiple sectors to find out how the balance between standardization and personalization can exist. Welcome to the show, Parker. Thanks for, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Glenn. I'm super excited to be here. Um, just excited to, to chat and talk. Love it. We'll do that, and we'll have some fun doing it. So, Parker, uh, you well know, because you are an avid listener to Personalization Outbreak Podcast, you know that we talk to our guests about this tension that exists between the forces of standardization and personalization um, in both business and society, because these two uh, areas are inevitably linked. Uh, the question is, how do we find the right balance between these two forces? So in your opinion, why does the tension exist and how can these forces actually coexist? Yeah, I mean, to me, when I think of standardization and um, personalization, I think on paper, just about anyone would say, oh yeah, I prefer personalization over standardization. But in practice, you know, personalization causes disruption. And if you, if you have standardized, like, okay, so say you're a leader um, and you're like, yeah, I want personalization. I want all my employees or all of um, you know, the people around me just to be themselves, to bring um, their personal opinions, their, their different ideas to the table. Um, that causes disruption. And, and a lot of the time when you've been doing the same thing for so long, uh, disruption can be bad, right? And, and I think things are changing so fast and so quickly nowadays, especially in technology and in business, that we're breaking away from standardization in just about everything. Um, you no longer see, or I guess you still see, but you see less of 
the very, the, the robotic cookie cutter. I just come in, I do the same job every day as everyone else. And I leave. Uh, so many people want to bring their own personal ideas, their personal opinions in, in themselves into work, um, into organizations. Uh, and, and that causes disruption that causes change. And if you aren't ready for that change, uh, it, it can blindside you and it can be kind of scary and you can be taken off guard. Um, so, uh, so again, I, I do think most people will tell you that they, they want personalization, but in reality, I think that they want some standardization. Um, and, and that does cause tension because you know, that causes you to butt heads with whether it's a manager, a leader, um, they'll, they'll tell you one thing, but in reality, they want something else. And, and to me, I think that's where a lot of tension is caused. So why, why do you think that leaders that may come from my generation uh, aren't maybe as in tuned as they should be to the things that you're sharing with me right now? I mean, wh wh why do you think that uh, maybe there's a trust gap that's forming because as uh, new generations like yours enter the workplace, uh, leaders that have been there a while feel a bit uncomfortable uh, with your generation? I just think the world is so different than it was. I mean even five years ago, but you get into 25, 30 years ago, um, the world, the way we do business, things are so different now. And, and people my age and even a little older than me, they've, they've grown up in this new world of, of technology, of, um, of almost instant gratification at times that when they kind of get into an organization and there's people who have been around for 30 plus years, um, things have always been done the same way. Uh, and, and a lot of the time they don't want to change. Um, and, and I think people my age, they, they see things so differently and, and they can get in, they can see, well, why don't we change how this has always been done? Because it can be done more efficiently. It can be done better. Um, and, and sometimes that's not what you want to hear if you're a leader, right? You don't want to hear that the way you've done things for 30 years is now wrong. Um, you, you want to be told, you know what, you're right. I want to learn from you. And in reality, so many leaders can learn from young, new people who understand the world in so many different ways um, just because of the way we've grown up and the things we've grown up with. So do you think um, that there's a balance of power shift here? I mean, I mean, shouldn't, uh, you know, leaders my age uh, be looking to get mentored from people like you? I mean, I almost feel like there's a role reversal that's taking place or at least that should be taking place. I think, so I don't want to say it's a full role reversal. I think that there's a balance that needs to be found, right? Because I can come into an organization and I can learn so much from someone who's been there for, I mean, as long as I've been alive, right? But if they aren't willing to learn from me, someone who's say, for instance, grown up on social media for most of my life, who understands kind of the ins and outs of technology, of computers, um, of the way that um, using those things can, can change the way that not only we do business, but we live. If they aren't willing to hear where I'm coming from there, it's going to be hard for me to listen to where they're coming from. Um, so I don't want it to be, I come into an organization and my boss is like, oh, teach me everything, right? Because I want to be there to learn, but I also want to be there to give advice, to give feedback and give my own different perspective on life. Um, so I think less of a role reversal, more of a balance is where I would like to see things land in the near future. That's excellent, uh, Parker. You know, as I, as I listen to you, um, it makes me think of my own experiences with your generation. And what I've learned is that uh, you guys are really good at trying to understand the foundational things 
that are important to an organization. And once you understand that, you go on your own. In other words, you want to respect what currently exists. But once you've, once you've learned the, the foundational things that matter most to the organization or to the, or to the department, it seems to me that this is when you gain the confidence to really assert more ownership in the work. So I hear what you're saying, and I agree with you that balance is important. But how should leaders be more prepared to know that once you guys become educated, um, you're going to form your own opinions and perspectives? Yeah, I, I think to me, it's a willingness. So it's not just as much being prepared to say, okay, this kid's going to come in and he's going to teach me everything he knows. It's a willingness to hear out younger people um, with these, these different ideas and different mindsets. When you hire someone you know, like me or someone my age who's lived and experienced an entirely different world, um, if, if you have that willingness to, to kind of have them come in and, and be open to the change that they can bring. Um, I, I think to me, that's a lot of the issue I've seen is that a lot of people, um, they aren't open to the way the world is changing the way business is changing. Um, and, and if you, you, if you aren't willing to, to kind of see this young kid who, who might have some crazy ideas in your mind, right? If I come in and I start telling you about, about YouTube and all these different spaces that you don't understand, it can seem a little bit crazy. Um, but if you can just take your time to kind of step back and say, okay, this kid, this guy views the world differently than me. Um, I'm going to be open to his ideas um, and just having that open mindset is what's going to bring in that collaboration. And, and once you kind of understand and trust where young creative people are coming from, you can let them run wild and, and they can change things so quickly and in such a different way. Yeah. It's funny. I, I can't, <laughs> I can't agree with you more, Parker. I mean, when this happened to me here at GLLG, I know you've heard of Guillerme. Uh, he started doing things and I couldn't, keep up because they didn't fall into the standardized ways of thinking. But then when I saw the results, I started to just let go. I said, wait a second, this is what people have been talking about. And, and so I agree that, you know, we not only have to be open-minded, but we have to recognize that there are other methods, ways uh, to get the same things done that may actually produce uh, better outcomes along the way. Um, so Parker, quick question. Um, for your perspective on this. Uh, when we had our first Leadership in the Age of Personalization Summit in 2019, uh, when I did debriefs with all the executives, one of the major points that came out of it was that, you know, we just thought that Gen Zs and millennials would assimilate just like we have as Xers, boomers. Um, and they recognized that this isn't going to be so easy. Why is it that your generation and, and the ones that will come after you aren't so inclined to assimilate? That's a really good question. Um, and honestly, I, I don't understand it completely, right? But, but I've lived it. And, that's, a and, fair, well, that's a fair answer. Yeah, you're right. I, I, <laughs> I think to me, the idea of the world has always been you go to school for X amount of years, you get a degree in whatever you want, and then you go into a workforce, you learn from the people there. I think we have access to so many different ways of learning nowadays that 
I feel like I can go and hop on YouTube and I can learn something that I learned in a semester of college in 30 minutes. Um, and so we've almost created this path of learning for ourselves. Uh, you have access to all the information in the world and we always have. It's not just this new thing that kind of popped up in our lives. We've always had, had access to all the information we wanted if we, if we were willing to go and get it. Um, and so I think we've almost created this new way of learning and this new way of kind of bringing efficiency into our, our lives. I, I, we're not all great at it. Um, so I think when you step into an organization um, that almost wants you to assimilate, wants you to say, okay, well, this is how we've always done things. Um, it's so easy to say, well, in the past, you know, I, I've done my research and, and I've studied this on my own, right? And I've learned, hey, there's more efficient ways to do this. And I think along with not only having access to, to learning new things, we're, we also have access of just giving our opinion, right? whether it's on Twitter or on Facebook or on Instagram, everyone has a voice. Uh, and, and we've kind of become accustomed just sharing our voice all the time, sometimes almost a little too much. Um, but I think we definitely have embraced and accepted, hey, I, I myself can bring so much to the table even though I'm young, because I have access to so many things, I've learned so much. Um, I think to me, that's why, at least that's one of the reasons why you see less of that assimilation, less of that we're changing for the organization instead of we want to come in and help the organization change. Powerful line. Love that, Parker. Say that again. I didn't remember what I said. You know what? Uh, that's okay. That. <laughs> okay. We've got it captured, but the whole point is it, it's, uh, it's, it's about how you come in uh, for the betterment of change uh, so that the organization can grow in a more organic way than being constrained about how you follow the change. So I, I, I get it. So you mentioned change and things are so different now. Um, define that for us, because we hear those terms a lot, but I'd love to get your generational perspective on things are different. Things are changing. How do you, how do you and, and your friends process what those terms mean? So I think for me, the world is changing exponentially, right? The world changes more in a span of six months than it did over a five-year period, a decade. Um, and, and I think me and my friends and my peers, we've just become accustomed to things changing so quickly and wanting to be ahead of the change whether that's trends in business or on social media, um, whether that's trends on, on learning, trends on, um, on any form of life or any aspect of life. Um, we, we realize that things change so quickly because the world is so close now with technology. Um, and I think for me, like me, me, my, me and my peers have talked about this a lot. I think what I end up doing for the rest of my career hasn't even been invented. And, and I'm okay with that. And, and it's not me worrying about, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's me wanting to get myself in a place where whenever that thing comes, I'm ready. Um, and I, I think when you get into that mindset of accepting change and trying to be ahead of the change and be a part of the change, rather than trying to take the change head on as it hits you or even a little too late, I think that's the main mentality I've seen in, in kind of my peers and, and people my age. Um, that, that they're not only ready for the change, but they accept it and they want to be a part of things changing um, and, and be the reason that they change for the better. 
you know, go ahead, Scott, you're ready. Go. Well, I just want to like chip in on this, uh, on this uh, observation, Parker, about the exponential change. Right. And, and I think this is a very critical point in understanding everything that's going on in our world right now, especially that stuff that we don't really yet understand. Um, first of all, I do want to say that, that, that folks like Gwen and I, you know, we too had the same, uh, same situation as you, that you're going to be doing things that you never imagined you would do as part of your career. Cause I guarantee Glenn, did you ever take a podcasting class in college? <laughs> no, I think you'd be a podcast dude. No, I don't think you did, but you became one man. And, and, and I'm glad you did. Cause I have a lot of fun with you, but, but, but I, 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 I'm thinking that, that maybe what we're not, what we're seeing here isn't really change. Glenn, Glenn's had to do the same thing you're going to have to do, and that is adapt to a career that will change exponentially in your time frame and in your approach and in your one impressive existence in this world. So what I'm trying to get at is if, if, if it's not change, if it's the exponential sort of rate of change that's the issue, um, maybe that's where we need to check in with you and to understand you know, what are some lessons or at least some perspective that you could provide on not necessarily being open for change because people are, they're ready for it when they mm -hmm. see that it's worthwhile and when they can understand the value. Right. Um, and so, so I'm curious, how would you advise somebody that you want to make sure that you want to bring them in by saying, Hey, I know where you are and this is going to sound crazy, but, but you've had these ideas, you have this outlook, but you have to talk to people, right. That maybe don't yet have that outlook. I'm curious what are some of the successful ways that you've been able to bring this perspective up the chain, so to speak, um, in, in your recent professional career? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I love the word you used adapt, right? I, I think you, you put in perfect perspective what I was trying to say. It's being ready to adapt to the change that's coming. And one thing I've tried to, to tell people, um, not even just people higher up, people my same age, all my peers, is, is don't be afraid to try new things. Um, I think the more you, the, the longer you've been around, the more you've been doing one thing, it's harder to try new things and, and even fail at new things. Um, but at, at some point in life, you, whatever you're going to be best at, you're going to be new. at. For me, graphic design was something I had never thought of, never fathomed until I was about 21. Uh, I got an opportunity to, to download Photoshop and teach myself graphic design. on YouTube, And I was like, I, I can't draw. I'm not an artistic person, but I'll try it. Um, and I wasn't afraid to spend a couple months being really bad at graphic design. Um, but being, being ready to, to take on something new and be okay with not being the best at it for a little bit and trying something new brought me into an entire career, an entire world I never thought I was going to be able to be around. And, and it's, it's been my livelihood. Uh, same with photography. I, my first day at the Timberwolves, I got handed a camera and they said, go take pictures. I said, all right, cool. So I pulled up my phone. I looked up how to take pictures, right? Photography 101. I figured it out on the fly. And because of that, you know, it's another way that I can make income. It's, it's another way I can express myself. Um, I think a lot of the time people are too afraid to try new things. Um, and, and there's so many new things coming into the world every day that you shouldn't be afraid to try new things. You should embrace new opportunities. You shouldn't be afraid to start a podcast, right? Because now podcasting is the future and it's something you guys love and you're great. So to me, not being afraid to try new things, not being afraid to fail at first um, and just embrace and adapt new things that come to you it is by far my number one thing as far as kind of being ahead of the change of being with you. 
how much is in your in your in your recent work, you know, how much of, of your work has been less the technical sort of ask and what your so-called title is in terms of taking a picture or doing social media? And how much of it is essentially being a guide within an organization in a new realm, in a new world? If we want to call this a new world of, of, of personalization that, that many of the people that you're working with haven't really spent a lot of time in, um, I'm starting to see you maybe on the meta level as somewhat of a guide for organizations like that. Um, could you could you maybe speak to that point and then just give me an example maybe of 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 a fun time or a funny moment in your life when you maybe realized oh my gosh I have to help I have to help them understand where the hell they are they're in personalization I I can't explain to you how many moments I've had to say All right, this is going to sound crazy but just let me talk to you about this for can you give me one good one so, just one of the ones that peaks for, right in your brain for me the biggest one uh, TikTok right the the app that has taken the world by storm. For the last year. So I've, I've been on TikTok for about three years. I think I downloaded it in 2017 or 18. At first as a joke, I was like, Oh, this, this app, I've heard a lot of people talk about it. It looks honestly kind of dumb, downloaded it. And I loved it. Um, and I saw this wave of like, Oh, now everyone's getting on TikTok. I had to sit in a couple meetings with people a lot older than me, people who have been around the industry for a lot longer than me. And I had to explain to them this app and when, when you first hear about it, you go, what does this have to do with our, how is this going to help us at all? And I had to explain to them really stupid trends. I had to explain to them, honestly, the whole mindset of this Gen Z app. And, and it, at first I sounded like the, the local crazy guy that no one wanted to listen to. But the more we got into it, the more they could see the value of the brand awareness of bringing in Gen Z, bringing in a whole different audience that isn't on other platforms. That's not on Facebook. What bridge did you build to bring them there? What did you do? Because I, I heard what, where you started and where they started, and I heard where you and they ended, but I, I just have no idea what happened in the middle to, to connect those two. Honestly, the biggest thing for me is have, having them get in, right? Pulling up my phone and just showing them, all right, so this is how it works. This is what's popular. And not only saying like, this is what people like, but explaining like, this is why you should like, right? This is why um, the whole world at some point is going to take this app and say, you know what? There's something for me on here. And, and that really is true on just about any platform. There's something for it. It may not be the most popular thing you see right away, but you can find your own community, your own thing on just about any platform. And so having these people get into the app that, that they don't know anything about, spending an hour scrolling through that everyone will find something they like. Everything will find something they'll enjoy. And, and then it starts to click a little bit. Okay. I can see the value that this brings. And so then once they're kind of on that same level as you, you can go, okay, well, what can we do to bring the organization? You know, how, how can we tell our story through this app? It and, sounds to me, yeah. I was going to say, it sounds to me that you basically just put them through the, 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 the Parker school, which is mm -hmm. here, put on a screen, Go to YouTube. What do you want to do? Watch a few and just be bad at it and you'll get better and you'll figure it out. I think mm -hmm. this is great, Parker. I'm going to turn it back to you, Glenn. No, no. You know what this is all coming to is it's about education. Is it we all need to accept that in this world of constant change, we are all teachers and students. And we need to have the patience to recognize that, you no, know, folks like Parker are going to have to listen and learn uh, from uh, those in the upper echelons of the hierarchy, while the hierarchy 
that brush lines in that hierarchy are also going to have to equally stop, listen, and learn from the Parkers of the world. Which takes me to a follow-up question about Gen Z. You call Gen Z the streaming generation. Why is that, Parker? And how have they influenced other generations? So I have a lot of opinions on this. Um, and this is honestly one of my favorite topics to talk about. Um, so I, I graduated college. I have a college degree. Um, but I also had four years of uh, legitimate industry experience by the time I graduated. And I tell people all the time I graduated from YouTube University. And, and everyone gets a little chuckle out of it. And I go like, no, I'm serious. Everything I do in my career on a daily basis, I learned on the internet. And I think the two best platforms for it are YouTube and Twitch. You and I talked about Twitch a little bit. Twitch to most people is known as gaming. Um, you watch, you sit on there, you get on there, you watch someone play video. Um, I found this little subsection of Twitch where every Monday I'll follow some guy who gets on and he talks about marketing and his, his experience in the industry. He talks about um, things that he's learned for about two hours, 5,000 people get on and then they basically get a free discourse into this industry professional and in, in what he's learned. And to me, paying a ton of money to go to a college uh, where the, honestly, at some point, the education you're gaining is now readily available just about anywhere. Um, it, I think that's what's going to be changing the most here in the future is, is the way we learn, the way that we consume education. Um, and, and I think the pandemic accelerated that exponentially because most people realized, and, and, and I finished my last two years of college online, is that I don't have to, to drive in and park, walk to my class to learn something that I can learn online. Um, and, and I don't have to live in the same vicinity as this instructor that I, that I click with, that I, I love how he teaches, that he helps me learn. Um, I, I can get online and I can find an instructor and they, they can teach me and I can learn from them anywhere. In the world. Um, and, and I think things like masterclass, I don't know if you've ever heard of masterclass, yeah. um, all these online um, subscription-based education programs are, are really some of the best ways to learn nowadays. And, and, and I think that that's not going to change. Um, I think that there's still going to be merit to, to in-person learning in just about everything. But I think that the way that we, we consume not only education, but content in general um, has changed forever with streaming. I don't know a single person my age who owns cable, right? Everyone has a subscription to, to Netflix. And then like for me, I have a TNT subscription so I can watch basketball. And, and I, I stream just about everything. Um, and and I, to me, that's just the way that, that my, my generation is going to consume everything. So, um, Parker, what, what lessons did you learn being in the sports industry? For me, so the sports industry is, is very unique because sports is a 24-7 job, right? You, you're always on the clock. You never know when something's going to happen. Uh, you have your nine to five throughout the day, and then you have your games at night. Um, and, and if you really love sports, that's awesome. And, and I, I'm a diehard sports fan, I have been my whole life. Um, but I got to a point where I realized I'm neglecting a lot of the more important things in my life for this job. And that's kind of selfish. Um, it, it's a really good career and I've learned so much from it. But at some point I had to go, okay, 
um, my life outside of work is more important than my life at work. Um, and I think that's something a lot of people my age are starting to realize. And, and again, the pandemic accelerated that exponentially. I think we were about probably like five or six years away from being like, okay, let's reevaluate the work-life balance, right? Do you really have to be at work all the time, on the clock all the time? Um, can you work from home every once in a while to spend some more time with your family, right? Um, I think the pandemic really showed us like, hey, life is really important. Work is really important, but life is really important. And, and we saw that, that companies, a lot of companies view people as just a number, right? As, as how much money they pay them every month. And the second that they got an opportunity to drop some people, they did. And so I think people started to realize, okay, this company doesn't view me as much as a person. So why should I sacrifice my personal life? And, and we kind of had a chance to step back a little bit, spend some more time with friends and family, be at home a lot more. And now that we're kind of rushing back into the office and back into life, I think people are realizing like, okay, well, this, this life balance that I had for a little bit, that's a lot more important than I realized. And, and, and not everyone right, had, had that realization, but a lot of the people I talked with had that realization over the pandemic. And, and I think for me, that's the thing that I learned the most is I said, okay, my relationship with my friends and my family was lacking because I was working. And I was putting too much time into my job where I can find a better balance and be more efficient at work and be able to come home and spend more time with my friends and family and in all reality, just be happy. You, you know, Parker, let, let, I love this uh, perspective. And, you know, one of the things that I've learned in working with uh, millennials is that um, you've learned how when you learn how things operate, when you know what the outcomes need to be, you can get really dialed in into being incredibly efficient and effective in eight hours. And, you know, I come from the generation that, you know, you have to put in 10, 12 hours and be 24 hours glued to your phone. And boy, if I learned the hard way that that's an unhealthy way to live. but and I'm adjusting, I'm getting better at it, I'm still working at it. But the whole thing is, when you know what methods and approaches that you need to take to what you have to solve for, you can be extraordinarily efficient. So what do you tell an organization or a leader that says, Parker, I want you to do it this way, but you already know that this is going to be the 12-hour way versus perhaps your way that will be eight hours and you'll get more out of those eight hours than even the 12 hour approach. How do you explain that? Because, and I want to give you some time to think about this uh, because, you know, we often talk about uh, in the age of personalization, the importance of finding the right balance between results, predetermined metrics for success and methods, you know, that ability to allow the individual to experiment uh, based upon how they see uh, the opportunity and or the outcome. So how do you explain this to someone that is indelibly steeped in standardization and believe that the 12 hour method is the best or the 12 hour approach is the best approach? So I think personally, my, so my job is very deliverable. I get a project, I get a brief, I create something and I submit. 
Um, and, and I know that that's different from a lot of other jobs, but there's, there's a lot of tangible, there's a big tangible aspect to my job where it's not just a number. It's, it's an actual physical, like, Hey, I created this. And something I've learned is if you give me, all right, you have to sit down at this desk and be here from nine to five and you have to complete this many things throughout the day. In my mind, I go, okay, I can do one here, one at this time, one at this time. And then that gets me to five and I'll complete everything. I need. But if you sit me down and say, okay, you have as much time as you want today to complete these five projects. I'm going to get those done in four hours because then in my mind, I can say, okay, well then I can go and I can, I can have fun. I can do my thing. I can live my life. And to me, that's, that's the big thing that we need to break away from is, oh, it's a nine to five job, right? You show up at nine, you have to be here till five. You have to do X amount of things. And, and in a lot of jobs, that is the case. But in, in so many jobs where, where it is deliverable based, um, I'm going to work more efficiently if I feel like I have control over my time, right? If I don't feel like, okay, this is the time I owe the company and this is what I have to do in that amount of time. If I say, okay, I'm in charge of what I produce. Um, and I come in and I say, okay, if I tell my boss, all right, I'm only going to be here till three, but I'm still going to complete the exact same thing you wanted me to. The more I think we can accept that that's going to be the case and we can be open to that new mentality and we can see that, okay, the deliverables are still there. People are working more efficient. And on top of that, they're happy because they know that they have more time to do the things that they love. Then not only are you going to get the same results, you're going to get better results. But that's not something that you can just tell someone. That's something you have to see, right? And in order to see that happen, you have to be open to letting that change happen initially and trying it out. And I think that's the big issue that we're seeing. That's powerful, Parker. I just want one comment just to let everyone know that what Parker said is 100% right. I personally had to see it, not to believe it, because I didn't want to feel like uh, the team, uh, there wasn't, there was distrust. It's that I saw something that made me realize that that was better than the approach that I was recommending. Um, the other part of this is you said that whole sense of ownership, you know, I, I will, you know, I'm going to mention two of my very valuable team members, uh, Guillermo and Paolo because they certainly train me to think like uh, you think, uh, Parker. And one of the big things was, hey, Glenn, uh, don't micromanage us. And, and, and I never really thought I was micromanaging. I thought I would just every so often, I'd say, hey, you know how things are going. And he said, you know what, when, when that happens, even though I knew it wasn't your intent, is it, it creates this sense of anxiety. Just let me be. I'll get it done. And so now when I write follow-ups to them, I'll say, hey, no rush, but I would appreciate you letting me know what's going on with that just for planning purposes. Because I realized I was bringing upon unnecessary anxiety and stress uh, because they felt that they were, you know, that I was micromanaging meant it created this, un this unnecessary pressure to deliver something. They just wanted to be let go, let left alone. So. I just wanted to share that, Parker, because what you said, I, I don't know if every, everyone can understand that without a supporting story. So I'm just trying to look at the other side of standardization so that people can see the juxtaposition. Did you want to add anything else before? Yeah, I think, 
I, I look at, I mean, I'm young, right? I, I haven't had a very long career, but I can look at spots within my career and say, okay, what have I created or what have I done that I'm the most proud of? And in every instance, it's something that I felt like I was making for me as well as for whoever I was creating for, right? And, and when you create and you work from a, a space of ownership, from something that I truly feel attached to what I'm doing, right? I truly believe in and am bought in on what I'm doing. And that doesn't just have to be with content and design. That's across the board. If you feel like you're doing something because someone is, is making you and forcing you, your production is going to be lower. But for me, if I'm making something that I say, okay, I am really excited about this. I see the vision of it. And this is something I really want to do. Those are the things I'm most proud of. And, and that's the best product I've, I've been able to create. And so getting rid of that micromanagement uh, aspect of, of leadership and getting into a trust-based, respect-based style of leadership to me is, is the most important thing. Because if I feel like you respect me and I respect you, then any little scuffle or any little issue we might have is, is going to get trumped out at some point because we both respect each other. We trust each other. And we know that in the end, even if it's not something I fully had envisioned at the start, the final product is going to be its best. Thing. That's awesome, Parker. Scott, fire away. Um, I, mean, I totally agree. I love this point about the trust relationship and, and, I don't, and, and the open communication back and forth, sort of a leveling of the fields. I don't think really many people in the world would disagree with wanting to do with that. I, I think no matter how old or young you are, that's something that a lot of us would really appreciate. Um, especially if we focus on the majority of the world. And that's where I want to just bring in one piece, a little bit of perspective that I want us to think about. Because I'm be honest, I'm a little nervous that we're missing a really big point here. And we're missing it because of the brilliance and the brightness of this thing called inclusivity, right? And of personalization. Um, and Glenn, is, I'm going to go back to pronouns again because we keep using the word we, which is my favorite pronoun because it is rather inclusive, the most inclusive. Problem is, you know, we've been celebrating some pretty cool things that we have been able to deal with, especially in the past year or so. Like you, Parker, adapting to school in such a cool way that you've become a, a, basically an autodidact. You could just get to the computer and figure out something and move on, right? Um, you also talked about this cool idea where like, you're more inspired if you just give me the tasks and don't give me the timeline and I'll get it done faster and then I can just go home and have fun. I agree. And that's what I want. But you know what? We are not capital W, we. Um, there's this phrase in the world. I'm going to give a parallel. There's a phrase in the world we call the third world, right? So when people like all of us, a lot of us on the podcast talk together about stuff, we always talk about we and us and corporate this and us and our society, and us and our cities and towns and our families. And we kind of assume that that's just the normative, that that's the kind of the majority. That's how the world flows. But it's wrong. We call it the third world, but we should call it the majority world. The majority of the people in the world today will never, ever have the chance to even think about telling the boss, if I finish early, can I go home, right? Let alone won't even have a boss because they're subsistence farmers or somewhere else. So I'm not sort of bringing this whole thing down, but I want us to think a little bit wider with our we and with our personalization, because right now we are doing exactly what those so-called higher-ups of ours that put us down and kept us back have done all along. 
let's think about this less as a corporate issue and more of a human citizenship issue and think about how we are literally those terrible micromanagers and those blind managers that we espouse or that we disespouse and that we, we hope to, 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 to transcend. Um, I don't know. That wasn't a question, but I do have some, I'll come back with some faith, right? Some hope. And that is um, your general orientation, Parker, reminds me to be calm and cool about this, even though I think this is a big, dangerous problem. The reason why I think your ethos is spot on is because you demonstrate that um, essentially the people that grew up in the streaming, general, uh, streaming generation, they're not, they're not falling for there is a land of standardization and there is a land of personalization. You, won't, you don't fall for that diet. And I want to make sure that, that we continue to focus on that part of the ethos. And I want, to, I want your help in helping other people to see it across all age fans. Because when we get rid of that dyad approach, there's them and there's us, and there's only two versions of it, right? There's a boss and there's an employee. That already constrains the way we can think about new things. And so right now, we are constraining ourselves by thinking that essentially there's an us and it's managers and it's it's an us and them, no matter where you are, and there's managers and employees. But actually, there's a bigger us that really is truly a, true, a truer picture of what the human race is right now. And that is there is an us and them. And the us is the majority population that lives on far fewer dollars than you're going to probably see this month and maybe a few years. Right. So I'm just going to put that out there. Where do we go with this? What, how, do we, how, do we get, how do we focus on the ethos and how do we avoid the blind the blinding light of personalization's promise of everybody's going to be equal and included. I think in, in, to me, what you just, what you just went off on is, is accountability, right. And, and not saying, Oh, I, I've been right. You said us, us and them, right. I don't want to be one that's like, Oh, I'm, I'm fighting it back against whoever's up there. Right. And then if I get up there, if I don't have accountability, if I don't look at myself and say, okay, what can I change? How can I be better? How can I help others? How can I bring this mentality that I've put into my career? How can I broaden that out in the world? How can I use that to help others? If I don't keep that mentality all the way through, then the problem's never going to get solved, right? Then I'm going to be the problem. So if you have accountability and you understand, okay, this is where I have, I have my privileges. This is where I've been you know, blessed in ways that other people haven't. If you don't have that accountability, from the get-go and all the way through, then you're just going to be part of the problem. You're not going to be the solution. And so I, I totally agree. I love that you brought that up. And, and I think that that's something that everyone needs to work on and, and something that, you know, if, if that's not going to change, then, then things aren't going to change. So guys, I'd like to wrap this up with uh, just a couple more. Uh, one question and then uh, one perspective that was actually shared with me earlier this morning. So, Parker, do you think that this topic around diversity, equity, and inclusion is bringing us together or pushing us further apart? I, I think it's doing a little bit of both. And, and I think this is a really hard thing to think about, I think, at times, and it's something that's hard to talk about. And I think it's because it makes people uncomfortable, right? And I think when, when it is uncomfortable, a lot of people want to try and make it something that divides. When it shouldn't be, it should be something that unites us. And having uncomfortable conversations and, and bringing diversity in 
should be something we all embrace, should be something we all want to do. And, and it's something that should unite us. But again, if you don't have that, that kind of accountability, that, that, ready, that readiness to change, it's going to cause people to divide. It's going to cause issues. And if you're stuck in your ways and, and you don't have that accountability, uh, it, it definitely can cause tension and cause people to divide. Um, and in an ideal world, it's something that unites us all. And I think people my age, they, they understand that. Um, they, they understand that, that we want to unite. Um, and then there has to be buy-in across the board in order to do that. And I think that's the big hard part is that um, there are people who want it to divide and, and, and it does cause a lot of contention. So I'm going to finish it with this. In fact, Scott, I'd like for you to be the one to react to this. Here we go. And then right. close. So this comes from my uh, friend Nuno in the Netherlands. Uh, I believe it was his uncle that said this. Because it kind of ties back to what we're talking about. And he said, it's better to be wrong than right at the wrong time. It's better to be wrong than right at the wrong time. How do you interpret that, Scott? And take this back to our conversation. And then I'd like uh, Parker to have the last word. Better to be wrong than to be wrong at the right at the wrong time. Uh, bottom line, uh, vulnerability is power because vulnerability as expressed and as shared and as, as, as surface level is, is ultimately what builds trust and, and, and long-term networks of dependability and accountability um, uh, that's inherent in, in the relations, is what I would say. What do you think, Parker? Bring us home, dude. Um, I, I agree. I, I think people try too hard to be right. People hate to be wrong. And, and a lot of the time, I, I like being able to say, you know what, I, I don't know, right? I, I don't understand. And and that's where, when you kind of humble yourself there and you take accountability of saying like, you know what, I am wrong here, teach me. That's, that's when you see real change. Not, not only like in yourself, but, but in your relationships, in business, in the world around you, when you can say, you know, I'm wrong, I don't fully understand this. Um, I'm gonna take accountability for that. And I want you to teach me, I wanna learn. I want you to help me be better. Um, I, I think that to me is, is the biggest thing. And, and Obviously, it's something I'm learning and trying really hard to be good at, and, and I'm not. I'm not the best at it, and everyone can be better at it. But, but if we have that mentality, I, I think we can start to be, become better and start to change. Parker, man, I got to say one thing, dude, because for real, that's spot on, man. Um, follow that, right? Because what you just said is actually, if we were to take this and all the other things that you talked about in terms of how you were able to, to do your own education and things like that, what you just said, I think is as a, as a breakthrough, at least for me and putting it all together, because even though you're saying that you could go on to YouTube and learn the skills you need to do your job, you still want to be able to be present in a way that other people can teach you. And whether that's on YouTube or whether that's face to face, I think that's the relationship that you're teaching me that we need to work on is how can we teach each other? But mainly, how can we ask others to teach us and how can we see others as teachers? If we see others as teachers, no matter who they are, from baby to, to, to elder, I think, uh, I think we're in a good spot and you helped me get there, man. I appreciate it. Gentlemen, it's been great. Parker, you are outstanding. We can continue talking, my friend, but look, so proud of you, the person that you've become. And I'm going to just let all of our viewers know that I've known Parker Hanley since he was born. So <laughs> this, is, uh, this is an individual that, come, that comes from good roots and uh, is, is really going to do some special things in his life. He already is doing it.
Parker, thanks so much for sharing all your perspective. And I could even say your wisdom, because uh, like I said earlier, and as Scott basically said too, we're all teachers and students, and we need to be open-minded to the, both roles that we play. So thank you so much, Parker. As always, thank you, Scott. And as we always close the show, when you lead in the age of personalization, you will see things that others don't. Do what others won't and keep pushing when prudence says quit. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Personalization Outbreak. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. If you enjoyed the content, visit ageofpersonalization.com to check out our free streaming video series and learn how to get involved in the movement. I'm Glenn Yopis. I wish you a good day. And remember, without strategy, change is merely substitution, not evolution.